There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com. A warm welcome back to the show. If you are just joining us, it is The Grill. It is myself, Chris McCarty, Matthew Fortune and Carl Van Roosevelt. We are live from Kicker Sports Bar, where we have been throughout the summer and where we shall remain maybe just maybe more on that as we go this afternoon plenty coming up between now and six o'clock we're talking f1 the qualifying gets underway in just under an hour's time german grand prix hockenheim is the destination we're looking back on the rugby championship as well it's been a good day for south africa it's also been a good day for australia tour de france stage 20 it's the penultimate day of the 2019 edition that one just getting underway we'll give you updates as we go there's wgc bridgestone invitational action from memphis to get you up to date with as well england Ireland will look back on what was a historic test match over at Lords. It's also been a historic day today for Jofra Archer. More than that in just a second. Should drug cheats be given a second chance in sport? We're going to be debating that this hour as well. And if you are just joining us, Arsenal set to smash their transfer record to the tune of 80 million euros. You are listening to the grill. Myself, Chris McCarty, Matthew Fortune, and Carl Van Roosevelt. Stay with us. You're listening to The Grill. Join the conversation. Text 4001 or message us for free on the Dubai Eye 103.8 app. Right then, let's kick off with this little debate that I've been wanting to have. I had it briefly on Offscript Extra Time in midweek. Let me widen this conversation out. Get your thoughts in on 4001. Drug cheats, second chances in sport. And there's good reason we're debating this as well, because we've seen Sun Young, a swimmer, over at the World Championships in South Korea. He's been coming in for, well, I won't say dog's abuse per se, but he has been given the cold shoulder by one or two of his peers, one or two individuals refusing to step on the podium when he has been winning medals, refusing to do so, I guess, in, well frustration more than anything and, and I guess disappointment from their perspective that he has been given a second chance that he is still competing with them I'll start with you Carl it's not an easy topic I appreciate but second chances for drug cheats yeah or nay um, it's, it's a very difficult one and, and the thing is I always I always want to see what, what the actual reason is for getting caught because often I find that it's a spray that, that wasn't registered and now it's been registered. Or, or, or I, 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 To me, I think it's a bit of a case for case, to, to be perfectly honest. But I think at the end of the day, if you're, a, you, if you're a cheat, you're a cheat. So I wouldn't give you a second chance. So you've got to be careful, and you're absolutely right to probably point that out, that case-by-case case basis, but if it is proven that you have willingly taken a banned substance, no second chance, you're done. No second chance. But what I'm trying to say is if a guy... There was this big debate about, I think it was Chris Froome actually, with the asthma pump a, yeah. a, a while it's, back. Uh, Bradley Wiggins. Bradley Wiggins, my apologies, that it's giving him, a, that it's giving him a, a, an advantage, etc., etc. To me, those are a very extreme case. But, I'm, but what I'm trying to say is, if you've taken a substance that has been on the banned list, I don't believe you need a second chance. Yeah, I think Carl's right. Just on that Wiggins thing, the problem with the... You, you do almost want to take it on every case-by-case case basis. You look into boxing, Canelo Alvarez allegedly in a contaminate, contaminated state. I'm sure we'll come on to whether or not we believe that particular yarn that he spun. But Wiggins, it, it's known as marginal gains in cycling. And I'm not going to rattle on about cycling. I've done that enough already today. But Dave Breos refers to it as marginal gains. Bradley Wiggins was on these asthma pumps relentlessly through his training program. 
and he said it was such a bad situation, the asthma, that he just had to keep on taking it. Not once yeah. in his autobiography yeah. does Bradley Wiggins mention that he suffers with asthma. Allegedly so bad that he needs to take it all the way through this endurance race because it's got a little thing in it that helps him go a little bit longer and a little bit faster. It's just, you can't take it on a case-by-case -case basis. You have to absolutely say that if that is on the list, there should be no, there's a, an acronym for it, the T TMIs? TUIs. TUIs. There are Therapeutic use exemption. That's exactly it. TUEs, sorry. TUEs, but I just think, I just you, you cannot allow for any sort of slip up and you have to in the money that is involved in sport nowadays you have to have a team around you you have to invest that money i'm sorry the money's you the money you win from winning titles from winning tournaments invest it in making sure that you have got people around you checking absolutely everything because you if you slip up once i just don't think it's fair to let anybody come back in there is a flip side to the debate actually which I, i'd be quite interested to know your thoughts on is do you just wipe everything off the ban list because financial doping, the access that, that you or I would have compared with a, a, a runner in, Ken, a Kenyan runner for example, yeah. who doesn't have access to Loughborough University for all the latest technology, all of this sort of stuff, there's a degree of doping in that. So do you just say to everybody, do you know what? Do what you want. Take your life into your own hands. Risk whatever you do. I'm not talking about steroids or anything like that, but if you can find something that is going to enhance your performance, because realistically, access to blood thinning training labs, that's enhancing your yeah. performance in a way that not everybody else would do. So I'm sort of torn between saying, absolutely not, never do it, and then at the same time thinking, do you know what? Just go with it. It is an interesting one, it really is, and, and you're not the first person either, Matthew. Omar Noor, who, of course, a triathlete, we've had him in this very show, and he said, very similar to that, let them do what they want mm. to do. The problem with that, though, in this day and age, do we want to be a society in a world where we're essentially saying, cheat? But you know? my, my argument is that it's not necessarily cheating because it's they all have access to a certain something for some reason. That improves performance. There is so much intelligence now that goes into every minutiae of training, of racing, of performing, that what what is the difference? Genu genuinely, I'm curious, though, what is the difference between a nasal spray and, say, a lab in Loughborough, you need to use your it, it, example. Exactly. I just, I just think that they, certain people have certain accesses to things yeah. that improve their performance. What makes them, and, I, and it may be my naivety, there could be someone shouting at the radio now, what you, you don't know what you're talking about. It just feels to me that so many people take so many different things anyway. What is genuinely the difference? Well, in the case of Sun Yang, now he is a Chinese swimmer and he has been coming in for a lot of criticism. As I mentioned earlier, a couple of the swimmers who he's gone up against, Mac Horton, who is an Australian, Duncan Scott, a Brit, both of those men refusing to take to their podiums alongside Sung Yang, in, I guess in protest of the fact that he has been allowed to return to the sport. He has come out as a defiant son to say that he should be revered as a champion for the rights of athletes, not someone that blatantly flaunts the rules. This is a man who has been found guilty in the past and there is some suggestion that he is under the spotlight once again for some uh, well in actual fact he swam under a cloud of more suspicion WADA have appealed the decision by governing body FINA to let him off that was after he actually destroyed a sample of blood that was due to be taken for testing late last year now when you're destroying blood I know I'm putting two and two together here and I've got to be careful but destroying blood would imply that you do not want the testers to be testing that blood sample. To me, Chris, the, the, the big thing is, if, if we allow these people back into sport, what, what are you telling the youth of today? What are you telling a young swimmer? Okay, it's, it's fine, you know what? If you get caught, you're going to get a slap on the wrist, and you know what? 
you'll be back in two years' time. Or what are you telling a footballer or a rugby player, whatever the case is? So to me, you need to set the example for, for, for young people. If you are not playing within the rules, it's like a simple thing. If, if you don't drive within the rules, you get fined, yeah. don't you? It's, it's as simple as that. And if you're not playing within the rules that the sport has been done, I don't believe you should be allowed back in because at the end of the day, you're making a living from it. Yep. There's, there, 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 you, you're cheating the people like myself that's paying to come watch you because at the end of the day, you, you're not really a true competitor. And I just think it's, it's absolutely wrong. I had Eddie Taylor in with me this past week on Off Script Extra Time and he said something he's absolutely spot on as well, certainly from an Olympic standpoint, from an athletic standpoint. It's not only all of that, you're cheating the spectators, you're cheating yourself more often than not. And whether these people can go to sleep at night, in the case of Lance Armstrong, he told Oprah, didn't he, that he could sleep very well at night. He didn't have any guilt from that perspective. But not only that, it's the fact that let's say you win, you've worked, you've worked your behind off for years to make it onto the Olympic stage. You're one second for that one big race, that one big moment. It's a shame for the individual who finishes second or third that does not get their moment, that does not get the moment standing on top of the podium with their national anthem, with a gold around their neck. You are stealing that from clean athletes for when you cheat. It's all good and well being caught down the road and saying, OK, the gold medal now moves to from Chris to Matthew, let's say, but I've taken that moment away from you as well. Yes, but it's the hollowness that I would feel as well. Yeah. But I think when you're... When you're embarking on a, a program of doping, of cheating, you, you're forgetting everything around you. are so blinkered, I would suspect, by the idea of winning that you don't think about anything else. You don't think about the residual effects that those drugs, whatever it is that you're doing, will have on your body in the long term. And that's another thing about competing after your, your drugs ban is maybe finished, is that actually sport is physical, of course. It's also mental. And if those drugs have helped you learn yeah. to train better, train more, train harder, you're still benefit benefiting from that program of cheating even when you stopped actually taking those drugs because you are an, an improved, should I say, athlete within that process. And it just, there's nothing valuable in that victory. We've all experienced wins in whatever walk of life we've done. When you've really worked, as you say, worked your backside off it for it, and that minute that you cross the line or you score that goal or that try or whatever it is, it's such a beautiful feeling. I would not feel that same way if I thought that I cheated my way to the end. Lance Armstrong, of course, his only argument was, well, I was just cheating better than everybody yeah. else was. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly it. It's governance. You've said it right there, Carl, that a slap on the wrist is not a big enough deterrent to stop people from cheating. Boxing. Now, I appreciate, I don't want to... We've talked cycling, and cycling's got an issue. There's no doubt boxing is facing a similar issue right now. There are one or two individuals, more than one or two, to be to be very frank, who are flouting the rules. We saw Sol Canelo Alvarez, and I've got to point out, otherwise the solicitors will be on at me, <laughs> that he was found to have eaten contaminated meat. He was given the ban, and he's now back, correct? Yes, correct. In the case of Dillian White, explain this one to my listeners, because government governance, you've said it, Carl, Boxing needs to take a long, hard look at itself for this particular story. Now, I appreciate it. Dillian White has come out on Twitter over the course of the past 24 hours to say there's a lot of rubbish being talked about on this subject. So he clearly is a man who is in control and is, is I guess, has more facts than what we do. But of this story, the long and short of it, he fails a drug test on the morning of his fight. Three days before. Three, Three days. days before the fight. He is alerted to the fact that he has tested positive for something. As you say, we don't know the ins and outs of this story at the moment. There's not enough information out there. All we're really going on is the release of the information that the UK anti-doping uh, agency had found something. We don't know what that is. So Three days before the fight. They find something yeah. three days before the fight. 
Dillian White then does what? Fights. Fights. <laughs> against I mean, the, against the guy who hadn't had anything found in his system and was unaware of the fact that a, a, a sample had come back as testing positive. It is it beggars belief. There is so much in this story that is, I mean, it's disappointing as a British boxing fan, someone, Dillian White, who, no, he's not the greatest heavyweight that we've got or have churned out in the last 10, 15 years, but he is box office. He has been mandatory for the WBCA, uh, WBC title, which is uh, held by Deontay Wilder, for the best part of two years. But because he's not particularly glamorous, he's known as the body snatcher, he's rough, he's a brawler, and he also get beat down quite often whenever yeah. he fights but you always tune in to watch Dillian White for this now to have scuppered essentially what is his legacy of being a top draw interesting fun fighter to be around and the fact that he's been so dismissive radio silence for the 48 hours since the story broke earlier in the week and then coming out saying it's rubbish my lawyers are dealing with it it's there's no contrition there something has happened he needs to hold his hands up and say yeah okay something has happened but don't worry I'm perfectly calm because what is going to come out yeah. is that actually there wasn't a problem. All we can go on is the very limited information that he tested positive, was told three days before a big, big fight against Oscar Rivas, a fight which he won, a fight which put him back into, you might even say, Eddie Hearn's best heavyweight, currently active. Anti Joshua, of course, would have a word or a couple of punches to say about that, but off the back of his defeat in June. And then Ersk, Alexander Ersk, is yet to fight yeah. under the undermatch room. Dillian White was in a prime position to kick on this year, but this is now going to scuffle whatever we have feeling for it. It is worth reminding ourselves that White, he actually served a two-year suspension, 12 through to 14. That was for unknowingly, and I've got to point that word out again, <laughs> unknowingly. Very good with the legal. Taking on this one, an illegal, so I've got to be, I've got to be careful. <laughs> I'll be run out of the country if not. Uh, taking an illegal sub supplement, he could face an eight-year ban if he is found to have been breached in breach of the rules yet again. He has come out on Twitter to say, I'm so disappointed with the rubbish that has been said about me over the last few days. As you rightly point out, Matt, he says that his lawyers are dealing with it. It is not yet known what the banned substance was that he took. UK Anti-Doping, the UK, they have declined to comment. British Boxing Board of Control underlined its policy of putting its anti-doping procedures, decision sanctions and suspensions in the hands of UCAD. So they're kind of backing away from it. Dillian White has said for the first time what he believes is rubbish. You've heard that there. The whole sorry tale, though, if he has been found to be in breach of the rules, if a positive substance, as we are led to believe, was found... There is no way in heck that fight should have gone on. Absolutely not. White actually says in his statement, he does say, I was cleared to fight. So that does raise questions oh, about the ridiculous. whole governance of this sort of thing. Boxing, anyway, is a bit of a shamble when it comes to governance. Who looks after what? There's a. I was listening to a podcast the other day talking about other fighters. There's a Nevada doping committee, yep. which just handles fights in Vegas. But that's not the same as the American Doping Association that... If Nevada rules you're okay to fight, you can still fight, fight exactly even though that. you've been found guilty. Yep. And that was a lot of the cloud. And again, I'll be wary of, uh, of the legal one on this. There's a lot of cloud hanging over the, the situation with Alvarez and how he was able to fight so soon after what was quite a significant um, breach of the rules. It just seems like the whole sorry mess has been handled really, really badly. How can the opponent not know That's that it's, it's frightening? And not only that, how can the WBC, the sanctioning body, they have come out to say that they re received no notification of the positive test as well. Sport at times, it's morally bankrupt, is what it is. I hate to say that, but it blooming is. There's no doubt about it.
This is The Grill, live from Kickers Sports Bar, where the game is always on. Welcome back to the show. 20 past four on your Saturday afternoon. You are listening to The Grill, live on Dubai 103.8. Myself, Chris McCarty, joined today by Matthew Fortune and Carl Van Rosenveld. We're going to get to Gareth Bale and some of the big transfer news in the world of football in just a moment. I want to go around the houses, though, for your live action. Rugby Championship earlier today, all done and dusted. Two really good matches and a really good day for Australia. But it's the Safas as well who, I guess, are smiling tonight as well, Carl. Yeah, absolutely. They're smiling Christmas. What I can tell you is they're at the top of the rugby championship. They're leading that on seven points, followed by New Zealand on a six, and then Australia on five. And the reason for that, Chris, South Africa drew with New Zealand in New Zealand today at the Westpac Stadium in Wellington, 16 all. And, of course, it's the young Herschel Jainchis that is the Euro of South African rugby. What a week this young man has had. Scored two tries in his opening test match. Scored the winning try in New Zealand against All Blacks today. And as I say, a 16-0 draw. The game after that, Australia took on Argentina. Argentina coming with a lot of promise to this fixture. But the Aussies just too strong for the Argentinians. Australia winning that one, 16 points to 10. I'm right in saying, Carl, that it is a shortened rugby championship this year because of the World Cup, correct? Absolutely. So on the 10th of August... New Zealand will be playing Australia, South Africa will be playing Argentina, and that will be it. That will be the rugby championship done and done. So the next time that South Africa come across the All Blacks will be at the World Cup. Absolutely, in their pool match uh, in Japan. And uh, as I say, so it's all preparation time, Chris. It's becoming closer and closer. I can't believe how quick the time's gone. Crazy. It's, it's literally, what's it, two months? And uh, we'll be uh, yeah. the opening weekend of the Rugby World Cup, which, as I say, is going to be very, very exciting. September 20th. You might want to listen in to Dubai 103.8 over the next couple of weeks as well. So all I'm going to say, if you are a rugby fan, we love a competition. So we do, certainly an off script. We love a competition on Dubai 103.8. If you love your rugby, you'll definitely want to be tuning in. And Chris, uh, I hope my wife's not listening. If you need a chaperone for it, just <laughs> let me know. You know my number. Yeah, I'll give, give a you call. a call, Carl. I'll give you a call. <laughs> We're going to book those flights first over to Japan, my man. So that's the rugby. What about the Tour de France? Penultimate stage today. We're underway? We're not underway, Chris. I got my timings wrong. I added, uh, I added my hours up incorrectly. <laughs> We're about 12 minutes away from ah, the start. Okay, so half past, around about half past four, and the stage 20 of the 2019 Tour de France will get underway. We are 35 minutes out from qualifying over at Hockenheim. I love Hockenheim. Always loved it growing up. In terms of the true traditional races, always loved Monte Carlo, love Monza. For some reason, Hockenheim, just loved it. Yeah, very, very quick circuit. And what, what's something special that's happening at Hockenheim today? The whole Mercedes team is dressing in 1950 outfits. Reason being, it's their 200th race this afternoon. So you'll see a lot of flat caps being worn Love by it. the mechanics as well as the team principals. Of course, Jackie Stewart making the flat cap very, very popular. But what I can tell you is that in the third practice, it was the Ferrari of Charles Leclerc that was the quickest. He was followed by Red Bull's Max Verstappen and then Ferrari Sebastian Vettel in third place. Current world champion and leader of the series, Lewis Hamilton, he's down in sixth place. But I'm sure the boys from Mercedes on their home turf will be getting everything together for the final qualifying. As you say, Chris, that starts at 5 o'clock this afternoon, UAE time. Pre-season friendlies as well, building up to the start of the new football season. The curtain raising community shield from an English football perspective is next weekend. Over in Holland later this evening, it's Ajax against PSV Eindhoven in the Dutch Super Cup. Of course, Ajax, a winner of both the Dutch Cup and the Eredivisie last season, going up against PSV Eindhoven 
under Mark Van Bommel, who finished second. That match kicks off 8pm local time here in the UAE. Matches ongoing, though. Man City in action? Yes, Man City are just about to come to the end of what I assume is their final friendly before they head back yep. to the UK, ahead of that charity shield that you mentioned. We touched on it earlier. It's 2-1 at half-time. It has stayed that way. We're in the 91st minute, as you might well expect in the second half of a pre-season friendly. A swathe of substitutions. Phil Foden is on. Ikan Gundogan is on. Danilo, Angelino, and then the two uh, the young English and Spanish lads, Adrian Bernabe and even Paveda, who have both actually made it probably not quite staked a claim for regular starting berths in that, in that phenomenal squad, but have certainly put their names certainly into contention, I would suggest, for maybe a lone move yeah, to the championship. I've been impressed with some of Manchester City's youngsters. I've been impressed as well with some of Manchester United's so four wins from four from they this campaign. They beat Spurs earlier this week, and you're looking at me, Carl. You're not holding out much hope for United under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, are you? No, not at all. And, uh, you know, I hate, I hate to be negative, but I, ju I just think they're going to have a very, very long season again. I don't see them ending in the top four. I know a lot of people are saying I'm, I'm being very harsh, but I just think they, they, there's so much wrong with that club. And when you sign Marcus Ratchford on £300,000 a week, where to me, if you have to look at the top strikers in the Premier League, where does he really but rate But you know what that is? Time? That is a consequence of giving Alexis Sanchez 400000 Exactly. Uh, Chris, I don't 505000 That's bonkers. <laughs> and and, and how, much, how, how, how much match time has he actually had for, for yeah. United? So, I don't know. I just think there's, there's too much work to do. I, I've never been a, a, a fan of, uh, of, of Oli Gunner. I think uh, Woodward, they need, they need to look at him too from, from a, a, a director of the club's perspective. I don't know. I just think there's a lot of things that need to change at, at, at Man United for them to be once again competitive. But as I say, I hope I'm wrong. Time will tell. Yes, they did, big, they did beat Spurs, which, is, uh, which counts for nothing. But I think it's <laughs> going to be a tough season. Man Manchester United, let's forget Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, was one dubious handball away, really, got him that job. Yeah. PSG away yeah. because ultimately they had a terrible end to the season. Awful. He was barely stringing results together. They got battered by Barcelona. Yes, it's Barcelona, of course. It's but utterly schooled by Barca across that next round after knocking out PSG. For me, listen, there is a reason why you stay in the Norwegian league for, what, seven, eight years and your one crack at the Premier League ends in relegation. That is not a Manchester United manager by any stretch of the imagination. To me, it showed a panic from Ed Woodward. I think he announced it at completely the wrong time. There would have been no real drama if he'd let the contract run until the end of the season and reviewed as he did. But he's very impulsive, Ed Woodward. It's strange. He's obviously a successful businessman and intelligent man, but he does very often let his heart rule his head. And it just seems bizarre, some of the decisions he makes. For me, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is the first manager out this summer. Oof. This season, sorry. That is a big tout. That first manager, Steve Bruce, I think is the leading name. From a bookmaker perspective, of course, Newcastle and Newcastle fans interested to read today as well. Mike Ashley has not often does the Newcastle owner speak, but he's given an interview to. I found it interesting as well who he decided to sit down with. Martin Samuel, one of your former colleagues Indeed. over at the Daily Mail, sat down with him and has essentially said no deal seems to be in the pipeline and that he could be around until he pops his clogs at that football club. Yeah, you it's tough with Ashley, isn't it? You kind of, you, you take a lot of what he says, not at face value at all, because you do feel that he's almost, I, I kind of find he enjoys 
a yeah. lot of the controversy yeah. that comes around him, be that in his way that he runs Newcastle United or the way in which he took over the, the famous House of Fraser brand in the UK or the way he runs Sports Direct. Of course, there's been a number of allegations about how poorly looked after his staff are there. And he's also entering a pretty tricky time for his business. I'm not massively hot on my own finances. My wife will be listening, <laughs> saying you've got no way to comment about how you look after your money. I can look but after them for you, no problem, Matthew. <laughs> but, um, but there's a lot of news out this week uh, about the struggles within those businesses so it wouldn't be a surprise to me to see him try and cling on to something that will continue to make money which is a Premier League football club yeah Mike Ashley well worth that read of that interview with Martin Samuel in the Mail Online an exclusive for the newspaper over in the UK Mike Ashley speaking at length about why he feels that he is still passionate that he still feels he is the right man to move Newcastle United forward whether Newcastle fans would agree with that I'm not quite sure. So Newcastle done and dusted. What about Spurs? I want to ask about Tottenham because uh, there was there was a little worry. And I know last week that you said you were very complimentary of Spurs last week. So you were, Matthew, and that was, I know, tough and for I still, you. I still feel a little bit grubby having done so. Yeah, you were, massively <laughs> as an Arsenal fan. But from a Spurs perspective, they've spent big on Ndombele from Lyon. Some suggestion that the well is not dry. Giovanni Lo Celso the Argentinian from Real Betis. Some suggestion as well that a deal for Ryan Sessignon will be done from Fulham. Are they going to be there or thereabouts? Are they ready, finally ready well, to make I'll, a splash? I'll just throw this controversial bomb into the uh, into the room. He's the second manager out because he's going to go to Manchester United. Mauricio Mauricio Poch. I mean, it just makes perfect sense to me. That wasn't the question. To me, I think Spurs... Again, they continue to exceed expectation. If somebody had said to me that they weren't going to sign anybody for 18 months and finish the second best club in Europe, I don't think anybody would have believed it at all. But what they do is they have a manager who has the absolute buying and belief of every single person that comes into that team. They have joined up thinking in the transfer market. Sure, they're not spending a lot of money or buying en masse, but what they are doing is filling gaps where they need. Yeah. They've sold a right back in Kieran Trippier. They've struggled a uh, uh, left back, sorry, they've struggled a uh, right back. Right back. Right back. <laughs> they've struggled in those areas. Ryan Session I think would be an excellent purchase for them. I think Ndembele is it adds that element to that midfield that they didn't have before. Agreed. There's a lot of there's a lot riding on Harry Kane, but you saw Lucas Mora with a full preseason under Mauricio Pochettino, how well he did last season. The fact that he kept coming good later in games as well. They do have options. I think they'll they're not going to challenge the top two absolutely no way, but what they will do is they'll look behind them, they'll look at Chelsea, again, not a massively convincing managerial appointment to me. Manchester United, of course, and Arsenal, as we've spoken about at length, and I think they'll think that if they can just win the games around them, maybe get draws away at City and Liverpool, they might go in with that right mindset. I don't think it will happen, but I do think they go into the season certainly more positively than anybody else underneath them in the table. I want to talk Leicester, I want to talk Everton, I want to talk Wolves as well with the boys, three of the clubs who have aspirations of, I guess coming crash bang wallop into that top six keep your thoughts coming in 4001 and I promise we will talk Gareth Bale because it does look as if he is off to China stay with us Unbelievable goal! this is the grill live from kickers sports bar where the game is always on yeah welcome back to the show Chris Matt and Carl on your airwaves through until six o'clock a big thanks to everyone who is messaging in on 4001 just going back to our earlier conversation about whether drug cheats deserve a second chance in sport Ahmed saying that they do one or two others alongside that kind of thinking as well Ahmed says they do deserve a second chance but only after they are penalized and penalized more I guess well in line with the 
mistake that they make. Right now we know penalising certainly football clubs and football players for whether it be financial doping and otherwise you have to affect them in a way that it does have an impact to ensure that they don't do it again. Justin Gatlin, for example, banned once, came back, banned twice, and then, of course, is still running to this day and will probably run next year at the Olympics. So do you have, this would be a curious one, do you, in the way that if you, you touched on it, if you break the rules while driving, your punishment is incrementally based against how bad the crime was. Therefore, is there a degree of, if you win and you win big and you've cheated, your ban or your punishment should be bigger or is it there should just be a blanket rule of if you contravene this let you almost put the, the doping yeah. crimes in columns and if you do column number one this much ban column number two this much ban or is it you go at the very top and you really you, you, you take someone from the very top of their game that has done something wrong and you absolutely throw the book at them well that's what should have happened to Lance I appreciate and obviously he was well, re subsequently retired unfortunately by retired. the time that he'd, uh, he eventually came exactly came clean stripped, stri <laughs> stripped of those seven Tour de France titles of course but you said it earlier Carl you've almost got to take it case by case because you know what the lawyers will do you know that they will argue their case for their client and try and find a loophole in the rules to get them off but one way as an absolute deterrent to what any athlete any walk of life any sport is if found guilty of doping banned never to be seen again chris we spoke a little bit earlier about taking that moment from the person and if memory serves me correct in usain bolt's last race of his career yeah, he ran justin against gatlin. justin gatlin and justin gatlin beat him yeah Imagine those fans that paid the money to come see Usain Bolt, his final farewell to the world. And I'm sorry to say, Justin Gatlin is a cheat. He's, 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 he, to me, he has been, he's not somebody that, that, that you want your kid or any youngster to look up to. He's disgraced the sport of athletics. He's been, I think, caught three times, if memory serves twice. twice, okay. And he's still coming back, yeah. earning money off yeah. it, making a living off it. I just don't feel it's right, honestly. I mean, if, if, if you get done twice, that should be it, absolutely. I mean, the ones we can debate long and hard about whether or not there is the mistake, it was an accident. But as I said earlier, I feel like these sportsmen that are at the very pinnacle of whatever sport they are have enough money or have enough of a support network around them to make sure that mistakes don't happen. Yeah. They don't expect mistakes to happen in training in any other part of it. Mistakes shouldn't happen in contaminated contaminated meat, in nasal sprays for your mythical asthma that you never mentioned that you <laughs> suffered. Like all of those things, there shouldn't be any room for error. And I just think that once you've done, certainly if you've done twice, uh, Gatlin is terrible, terrible. He's out there and he's winning, he's winning the titles as well, is yeah, he not? Yes, he won a, World uh, Championship last year absolute travesty but, but, but Chris so for example you mentioned Lance Armstrong okay Lance Armstrong got stripped of his seven Tour de France titles I think out of the seven they gave it to the guys that came second I think five of those guys had tested positive yeah. before in any case yeah. you, you'd know the stats better yeah. than me but I believe it was five of them so so what is what is that telling people about the sport what is that what is that telling youngsters look yeah it's it, it's fine you know, come back again and, and, and you can still win it. And I don't know, to me, it just doesn't sit right with me. There was an amazing graphic, I think it was, over those seven years of Armstrong's title. If I think it was the top five of each year, there was about seven names who had not been tarnished by, by a doping ban. It's absolutely insane. But that comes back to the point we were saying earlier is he just Governance. cheated better than everybody yeah. else. And But why was it allowed to continue? There's enough interest in the tour. It wasn't like they needed... Or the was there? 
That's part of the accusation that's been levelled against. Was there? I mean, that transcended the sport of cycling, Lance's success. This is a man suffering yeah, testicular the, cancer. The brand Armstrong. Brand Armstrong, mm. live strong. Cycling itself came in. I mean, it was front and centre of newspapers and of news organisations around the world when Lance... I hate to say it, but it's true because yeah. his story transcended the sport and that's where the morally bankrupt kind of nature of it all comes in, that we love it. It's our passion. It's my job, for goodness sake talking and, and, and speaking to sportsmen and women and it's the idea that there are organisations, we'd be incredibly naive not to think it, that will protect their own and in order to do that sometimes they will take decisions that on the on the face of it look absolutely nauseating and there's no doubt about that in the case of Lance and that he was allowed to kind of be Lance if you will for a decade, 15 years and then obviously the house of cards comes down and fingers crossed cycling is moving in a direction although just the other week we saw Chris Froome awarded the Vuelta a Spania from what yeah. 2011 because the yeah. winner was found to have been guilty. Yeah but that's from a long time back I guess and you, you do feel and that's what um, going back to this year's tour and what we've been talking about the positivity around yeah. it is Froome's absence and Team Sky them, uh, Ineos sorry, have, have themselves said it's actually been quite nice to not have the controversy following us because Grant Thomas has never, there's never been any shed of doubt. You look at Egan Bernal, he's 20 years old, you would hope beyond all hope that he hasn't, uh, he hasn't been tarnished by that. It certainly is not the case. Um, so there has been that positivity. Froome has carried this burden of being of just a cloud over his head and it has kind of weighed the tour down a little bit so I think that's probably helped this year kind of make it feel a little bit nicer similarly on a cheat not just in doping I saw this week that um, the young Pakistani bowler from the 2010 Lords Mohammed test Amir. exactly retired from test cricket this year he never quite this was a kid that when you when people get into you that early that you can throw I know it's a different type of of cheating but ultimately that's what it was when people can get at you that early you need that better network yeah. comes back to the point we keep on saying the governance of the sport it's just, it's just a shame it's right across the board yeah speaking of cricket I am conscious that we haven't discussed a historic test match between England and Ireland. My goodness, if more test matches have as much drama as this one, and I actually think, I'm going to put it out there, I'm going to have egg in my face if it doesn't transpire this way, I think we're in for an absolute <laughs> barnstorming ashes. I really do. I think both teams have got issues. Both teams have great bowling attacks. I think we're in for another classic. I think it could be either way 3-2 come the end of the series. Yeah. Obviously, if the rain stays away, I think this is the, I guess, 2019 with England winning the ICC Cricket World Cup. This Ashes series coming up. It's another summer where cricket wins out. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm jetting back. I'll be at the third day at the Old Trafford Test. Oh. And I was actually joking with my pals on the WhatsApp group we've set for planning this particular trip. I said, well, I hope it lasts a little bit longer than the Ireland Test did because <laughs> otherwise we're having half a session of cricket and I would have flown back for the weekend. What an absolute shame. Um, yeah, it certainly does feel like that. I think obviously England are, are buoyed by what happened uh, just a few weeks ago. Yeah. Doesn't, it does feel like, I think because I've watched the... Uh, that final delivery and that final run out so many times it feels like it was only a couple of days ago but I think you're absolutely right the the narratives just oozing through this team young Joffre Archer promoted today yep. to the England squad Ben Stokes the rehabilitation of a guy that was looking at prison time just about 18 months ago he's in as vice captain the Australian team including all three of those Cameron back to, back to back. cheating of course and it's uh, I just think the narratives oozing through it the weather in Britain has been absolutely spectacular the last few weeks you would hope that the rain stays away I'm, I'm loath to kind of put the hex on it but we could be looking at a 2005 rerun I think so I really do and going through this Australia Ashes squad as well as you rightly point out Matthew Cameron Bancroft 
brought back into the fold. First time that we will see the young batsman after that uh, sandpaper scandal. David Warner is in, coming off the back of a wonderful World Cup for the opener. And of course, the former skipper as well, Steve Smith. It will be Tim Payne who is captaining this Aussie side. You look at their bowling attack as well, and I think that's really, for me, where the strength lies. James Pattinson, Peter Siddle is still in there. Of course, you've got the best in the world right now in Mitchell Stark. I like the look of this Australia side, I really do. Josh Hazelwood, you've got Nathan Lyon in there as well. I think we're in for an absolute belting series over the course of August and into September as well. Of course, from an England perspective, you're not wrong, Matthew. Jofra Archer has been called up, so we could see young Jofra unleashed on the test arena. It's going to be a good one, Carl. Absolutely, and I'm glad they called him up. I think yeah. he's, he's, a, he's a fantastic young talent. I, I like his whole persona on the pitch. He, sounds, he seems to bring that X factor. To me, the big, the big factor of the, of the Ashes series is the weather needs to play along. Was, was, that's one thing that really disappointed me in this World Cup. I thought it was a fantastic tournament, but to me, there were too many matches that were affected by the weather. So if the UK can stay dry, I don't believe it can, but <laughs> yeah. uh, sure, we, sure. We, we live in hope. We live in hope. Um, I think it's going to be absolutely fantastic. I think it's two very, very well-matched uh, matched teams. I think uh, a, a, lot of, a lot of pressure will be on the England captaincy too, this, this series. Yeah. You know, he's, Joe, he's, Root. he, Joe Root's got to get it right. Yeah. A lot of pressure on the young man. And I think this is the time where he's really got to step up to the plate now. You know? and, and I think that uh, it's, going to be, it's going to be really, really a fantastic series. Because I think the teams are very, very evenly matched. So, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it, Chris. Issues for England at the top of the order, of course. Jason Roy has been well, thrown into the deep end after a wonderful... ODI World Cup campaign for Jason Roy. They're missing an Andrew Strauss. They're missing, of course, you would always miss an Alistair Cook, a legend of the game. Getting that top order right is going to be absolutely vital. If England can get it, they've got a chance. I just don't know if they've got it. Is that you just bringing your Scottish, uh, your Scottish bias into the conversation? No, not at all. I just I look at England's top order. Obviously, Joe Root, one of the best. He'll come in at three. You've got Bearstow. You've obviously got a man in Ben Stokes who can change a game. It's at the top of the order. We know in the test, similar to the ODI, we saw what Jason Roy, the oh. effect he had. Oh. Just the confidence it gives the rest of the team, the platform that they build. If you are coming in, if Joe Root's strolling out and England are 20, 30 for one, there's problems right there. And too quickly now, I think there was a start. England in their last 14 innings, I think they've only made over 250 once, for goodness sake. They're, they're just not getting the job done. That opening pair need to set the platform to allow your Joe Roots, your Ben Stokes, your Johnny Bairstow to play their natural game. If that doesn't happen, then you're in a world of pain and Australia will make hay. Especially with that bowling attack. Do you think, yeah. it's, a, do you think it's a mindset issue? I think we, 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 we invest quite a lot because once you get, and you, you say the stat there, is it 14 tests, not over sure, 250? 14 innings. And that's the problem is that you, that starts to be something that you wear around your neck. Every time you're stepping out there, you know that people are watching. That's why, and, and, and switching it back to, to Archer. So I think it's great that he is involved because he's a young man that has shown we, we, we hear that he asks for that super over. If you bring in that level of mindset into a team, it can filter all the way down through it. You look at players that want to try and elevate themselves. Archer is one of those. Root, I think, is growing into the captaincy. He's very, he's very nice when I remember back the, the Ashes series, just before I moved to Dubai, so six years ago, and Root was just bursting onto the scene then. But he was a very timid guy. He's obviously immensely talented. But he's very much grown into that yeah. captaincy. So you would hope that he can have that kind of lifting effect and obviously what happened in the ICC World Cup I know it's just there's obviously different players involved in, in, in both forms of the game but it, it's that mood around the club and I think Root he's been firm he's been outspoken this week of course he's criticised the Lord's pitch described it as substandard you would hope 
that whatever's happening in the, the Ashes series that we are taking place at the groundsman will get those pitches in order for an Ashes series. It's fascinating, so many different narratives. So is, and Rory Burns is the man in possession currently, but his place very much in doubt. That was after yet another poor performance. Harsh to be, uh, well, it is a little harsh on the young man, but he is, uh, he made six in both innings against Ireland, did Rory Burns. He is averaging just 22.28 from seven tests only two and a, uh, two half centuries in 14 innings for young Rory Burns. So his place very much in jeopardy. Jason Roy, we touched on, Joe Denley could open, Joe Root could then be elevated back to three, and then that gives you then the Ben Stokes, the Josh Butlers, the Johnny Bairstows of this world, who on their day can be as destructive as any batsman out there. Let us know your thoughts. Who should open the bowling for England? I want to talk as well, Lassie Malinga, because what a farewell for the veteran bowler the Sri Lankan last night against Bangladesh. I'll give you the details on that when we come back as well. And I promise you, I've been promising all evening, we will get to the subject, the thorny subject of Gareth Bale. You're listening to The Grill, bringing you the biggest sports stories right now. On Dubai I 103.8. Yeah, welcome back to the show. One or two familiar faces popping in to Kickers Sports Bar. And if you are looking for a venue to watch some sport, have some dinner, a drink or two, adult beverages, then do pop on down. It is a wonderful little venue. Atmosphere is fantastic down here. So if you are at a loose end, this is where you should head this Saturday evening. Myself, Chris McCarty, Matthew Fortune and Carl Van Roosevelt. Ten to five on your Saturday as well. We're talking all things sport. We were talking before the break about this upcoming Ashes series between England and Australia. I think we're all excited. We can hand on heart say we're all enthused. We're excited about it. If I had to pop you on the spot, who will emerge victorious, Matthew? Um, I'm going to plead the fifth on that one because I don't... Come on, get off that fence. <laughs> I, think it, I think it might be an away win, Chris. You think Australia? Yeah, I just, I just, think, I just think with that attack at that at that batting lineup, who so, who so struggled so badly against Ireland, with all due respect, this week, I just think while there's the positivity of having someone with the the mindset of Jofra Archer, he's still a young kid. There's a lot of players in there playing in their first Ashes Test, but there's a lot of experience in the Australian lineup. I just think that could be telling. Carl, I'm actually going to go England. I yeah, think I'm I, with I, you. I, I just, I kind of fancy them at home. And uh, to, to your point, I think. You know, Chris, you've touched on a, on a very important point. If they can get that opening partnership going, and, and, and we saw how influential, influential, should I rather say, Roy was in, in the World Cup. To me, he actually came right at just the right time for England because England were in a bit of a spot of bother yeah. to make the playoffs. And, and, and all of a sudden, when he comes back into the team, he gets that momentum game. If he can bring that, uh, that form of his into the five-day game, I think that's where it will really, really make a big difference for them. And as I said, conditions, yes, I, I, I honestly, I think this, you can't read too much into this Irish test. In, in all honesty, I think if one or two things go their way, I fancy the English. An incredible matchup, this four day, it was supposed to be four days, it didn't last the four days between England and Ireland. England skittled out before lunch on day one for 85, for yeah. goodness sake. Ireland then make 207, England bite back and make a decent total. It set Ireland 180 plus for victory and they skittle the Irish out for 38 there was at one point we all thought i think the lowest test total 26 i believe in all of test history and all of cricket's history they managed ireland to avoid that but to be bowled out for 38 it was a bad day at the office yeah <laughs> i'm sorry i'm laughing absolutely i couldn't believe it when i saw it well i couldn't believe when i saw the 85 i was in absolute shock I was yeah like, you know these are the world champions i know it's a different format of the game 
you, you, you know, they, they just won on Lord with what, a total of 200 and something that, that they hit in the one day international. And yeah, I was, and then when I saw this, I was like, oh my word, I, you don't really know what to say, do you? It's almost unparalleled. I saw earlier a tweet, uh, a tweet went out. It was only the 10th test in history where both sides have been bowled out for under 100. <laughs> and more staggeringly, the fourth since 1907. Wow. So that's only happened three times in, what, wow. 112 years that both sides have been so utterly abject with the bat. Incredible. Abject. And Joe Root has come out to defend his batting line. I guess the one crumb of comfort, well, a couple of crumbs of comfort from an England perspective, they won the test. I know it's a warm-up, there's not much to it, but at least they get the bragging rights. But it's the fact that their bowling attack, they needed to step up. And they did just that. They skittered Ireland out. Obviously, I appreciate Australia's batters with David, War uh, David Warner, Steve Smith, Cameron Ban Bancroft, etc. Far, and I don't want to be disrespectful to Ireland, but they will be tougher proposition for the English bowlers. That being said, at least Joe Root's bowlers are going into this first test on Thursday with a bit of pep in their step. Yeah, you're right. I think it comes down to, and, and no disrespect to the test match that it was, but it's a bit like a pre-season feel yeah. to it. You can take... You can, you can spin it whichever way you want to spin it, really. You can take whatever positives you need out of it. It ultimately was a building block towards a much busier couple of months ahead for England uh, against Australia. And I think it's a very individual thing. The individuals that struggled in both innings will be wearing that a little bit around their neck, but those that did step up and did deliver will take positives from it. It's very, very different. I think you just need to see it as, as getting the game done. I would question, personally, the need of, <laughs> of playing a test match, what, two weeks after a World Cup yeah, final in any I, other I, in any other sport, would that be the case? I know rugby's obviously slightly different between where players would go, but you are given a little, at least a little bit of time to go and kind of revel. We were talking earlier about Lowry. Lowry's just taken the next tournament off because he wants to celebrate with yeah. his pals. Surely the England players would have deserved a little bit of time I, I for guess that. For, for those boys, though, it's just making sure that they switch from, of course, the white ball to the red ball and make sure that they are battle-hardened, battle-ready for what will be an extraordinary six weeks or so. I want to just stick with cricket just for a moment or two if I can because uh, it was a farewell and what a farewell it was last night for Sri Lanka's Lathit Malinga because he took three for 38 including the last wicket of the match. He is retiring from ODI cricket. He has said he will continue to play T20 for Sri Lanka but what a way to end it. Sri Lanka beating Bangladesh by 91 runs. The 35-year-old who made his debut would you believe back in 2004 so he's been going for 15 years has Malinga. Three for 38 taking the last wicket that's how you do it and he's always been a bit of a showman in his career absolutely and one of the legendary legendary names associated yeah. with fast bowling you know i think he's he's to me he's often done well in 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 a, in a struggling sri lankan team sri lanka yes they, they've been they've been good over the years but they've had some highs and and and, and some lows but to me he's always been a stand-up performer you yeah know? and uh, and justice to him and lovely way to end chris as you say taking that last wicket and i think rightly deserved from him and you know we wish him a happy retirement i think he's gonna be a big loss to the international game there's no doubt received a guard of honor did lasith malinga from his teammates at the start of the game and when you crunch the numbers as well he is the only player to take three odi hat tricks amazing start that only player to take four wickets in four balls so on his day his, his Yorker is as good a Yorker as you're likely to see, and he is third on the all-time list of wicket-takers for Sri Lanka, behind Mutai Munalithran, who of course took 523, Chiminda Vass 399, so 338 does Malinga finish his career on at an average of 28.87 from 226 ODIs. Not 
totally retired, as I say, he will be playing T20s, but it will be the last that we will see of Lassie Malinga from an ODI perspective. So that gets you bang up to date with the cricket. I should point out, and I did point out, Sri Lanka did beat Bangladesh by 91 runs. The second ODI takes place tomorrow. We will have updates throughout on off script tomorrow. So that is the cricket. Into the final hour shortly, I will be discussing all things Gareth Bale because it does look for all intents and purposes of his he will be off to China. Before that though, qualifying just about to get underway, German Grand Prix car. Yeah, just about to get, get underway. And those of you only tuning in now, what I can tell you in pre-qualifying at ease, there's Charles Leclerc from Ferrari who was fastest. He was followed by Max for Stefan in the Red Bull, Sebastian Vettel in third position, as well as Terry Buedas in fourth, Lewis Hamilton down in sixth place, but I think it will be a different story when it comes to final qualifying, it should kick off in about three minutes time, but Chris, you know, we talk about the gap in Formula One, yeah. and it's actually quite amazing when you look at it, Mercedes-Benz from a constructor's perspective, 407 points they've accumulated so far in the title race, Ferrari in second with 243, Red Bull in third with 191 and then mclaren with 60 points so it really really shows you the big gap and williams of course once a power horse of formula one zero points have scored no constructors points so far in the championship yeah we'll keep an eye on qualifying updates as we go into the final hour of this saturday's grill show keep your thoughts coming into us on four zero zero one two hours down one to go stay with us there's just so much more to hear download our podcasts at dubaii 1038.com